Welcome to One Drop Leads to Another, a podcast exploration about water on Cape Cod and our personal connections to it. In this episode, we talk with Harriet Booth. Harriet is a marine resource specialist and works in the marine program at the Cape Cod Cooperative Extension, Barnstable County's Education Department. You know, I sure do love a good baked quahog or a big bowl of steamed mussels. Shellfish are in many ways part of the fabric of Cape Cod, whether ecological, cultural, or where economically speaking. They can also be a part of the solution for some of our wastewater woes. So let's dig into shellfish. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Hey, thanks yeah, for coming welcome. On. So your work clearly involves water in some way, shape, or form, being involved with shellfish. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you know where you work and what you do? Yeah, so I um, I work with Calliope at Cape Cod Cooperative Extension, and I also am jointly funded by Woods Hole Sea Grant. I am a marine resource specialist for both those organizations. Uh, and it basically means that I work in the area of our living marine resources all over the Cape and you know southeastern Massachusetts. And primarily that involves um, fisheries and shellfish aquaculture. And then I also do a lot of uh, research on the health of our local waters. Um, and that varies, but we do a lot of monitoring, uh, long-term data collection of how healthy our waters are all around the Cape. And that, of course, ties directly to shellfish resources on the Cape. So we do a lot of different things, but it revolves around shellfish and water quality. I have a question for you that's not the question that I was going to ask, but you mentioned Sea Grant, and I was wondering what you meant by that, because like I know, or I think I know, but maybe our listeners don't always understand what some of these terms are. So what do you mean when you say Sea Grant? So Sea Grant is a federal program. There's basically a state Sea Grant program in all the coastal states. So there's uh, 34, I believe, including the Great Lakes regions. It's basically organizations that their mission is to kind of work and support the you know coastal resources, both economically and ecologically, in that state, in that area. And so there's a lot of Sea Grant provides funding to researchers who you know research certain topics that are relevant to those stakeholders and to those people that are working and living in those areas. So I know our department is part of connected to the land grant university system uh, throughout the country. Is there a space grant? (laughs) We have have sea grant, we have land grant. Is there a space grant? Like Elon Musk and other people want to put people on the moon. But um, so I'm wondering, the land grant system comes from Abraham Lincoln and the whole manifest destiny of go west young man, but making sure that there were, you know, scientists um, to support the, the settlers and the pioneers. And I imagine that's a lot to do with Sea Grant as well. But I'm also now wondering, is there a a Space Grant? And how does one get to be on Space Grant (laughs) departments? (laughs) So the question that I had for you is, you know, I really want to thank you for coming to hang out with us. And it's so nice to see you in person. Um, It's been a long year of Zoom. And, um, you know, I know that you're relatively new to Extension and you came on board right before COVID. So we didn't really have a lot of time to connect. And I remember in thinking about you that you're a farm girl and that you're from like a land farm girl, not like a sea farm girl. And I was wondering how you got from Western Mass to shellfish on Cape Cod. Like, how does that happen? What's that? What's that? That's a good question. Yeah. So I I didn't grow up on a typical, you know, big, big scale farm, but my family does have um, a good amount of land in Western Mass and Gill. It's very rural. It's a tiny town. Um, and we mainly have a lot of vegetable gardens. Uh, we have a restaurant and brewery in Greenfield, Mass, and that's kind of the family business. And so we grow a lot of the vegetables for that restaurant. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we do all the, you know, the restaurant focuses on composting all their waste, and so we do all the composting at our little farm there. Wow. 
Yeah. And we've always had um, chickens and then we had pigs. It was mainly because I was home. So when I was home, I would raise the pigs. We don't have pigs anymore. But those are kind of the extent of the farm animals. Yeah. So how did you get from uh, that farm and the brewery situation, which sounds idyllic and a little bit utopian, to working with shellfish and water quality? Yeah. So I grew up in landlocked Western Mass, but we did spend a lot of time on the Cape uh, in the summer. So my my grandparents have a little house in Brewster on Seymour Pond. So we would we'd spend time there. There as a family. So I did spend lots of time on the coast. I always just love spending time in the ocean, in any water body, just, you know, as any kid, I'll just be swimming for hours. And now I get cold. I didn't used to get cold in the water. Um, so yeah, so just being in and around the water. And then again, I'm, I'm a huge animal lover. So that's kind of where my interest in science in general started. You know, I knew I was going to go into biology of some sort because I, I prefer to spend time with animals than humans. That was always a theme. And um, so again, raising pigs, just being around animals all the time, that sparked my interest in the general area of kind of life sciences. And then the marine component, I think, came in just from, again, spending time near the oceans. You know, I became I adore horseshoe crabs. There were some specific animals, some critters that I was just very drawn to. Is that like from the Brewster Flats you'd find all the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty inspirational. So horseshoe crabs are amazing. Yeah, I actually have a horseshoe crab tattoo. That's how much I adore them. <laughs> yeah, and again, there wasn't any, you know, that was kind of the main transition. There wasn't any big, uh, you know, life-changing moment. But I do remember I knew before undergrad, I knew I was interested in marine biology because I actually... I went to Brown University for undergrad, and they have a marine biology-specific program. So at that point, I remember thinking, you know, I know I want to major in that, and I continued from there. So yeah, so I would say it definitely came from my love of animals, and then that that kind of aquatic marine environment that hosts so many wow, fun that's animals. A really cool background story. It's kind of similar. I mean, I came from upstate New York. I didn't live on a farm, but I had farms completely surrounding me, and I had family on the Cape. It's like, you know, Cape Cod kind of sucks you in, in different ways. So now to kind of jump into a little bit of the sort of science-y aspect of things. So what, what do you think are some of like the top issues that the shellfish community is grappling with in relation to, you know, water quality and water issues? You know, at any level. It could be like the local level, the yeah. state level. Yeah, well, so a couple things. Um, definitely locally we're dealing with a lot of um, excess nitrogen in our system. So the, the scientific term is eutrophication, but it's basically when there's uh, runoff nitrogen from you know surrounding land, surrounding coastal areas into the water. And that leads to, um, of course, the natural uh, substance, but it leads to a ton of growth in the water because it fuels lots of plant growth. And then that can just lead to, you know, when there's too much plant growth, it can smother other plants, it can um, use up too much oxygen, it can have negative effects on basically the other plants and animals in the system in general. So that's, um, and that excess nitrogen usually comes from things like fertilizers from people's lawns and, and you know, wastewater. Um, so that's definitely a big concern. And then another one is harmful algal blooms, which often that, you know, comes from there being a lot of, um, it, well, it's linked to be, there being excess nitrogen in the system. Um, and yeah, and, you know, in general, changing things like ocean acidification. Right now, we're not really, it's not a huge concern to our local area, but that is something that within our, my water quality monitoring program at Extension, we're, we're doing some more acidification monitoring now, just because it could potentially be a concern as we go forward. What does that mean, ocean acidification? I think that's something that sounds really scary, but is it? Yeah, so, well, it is scary if it's happening, but it we don't have to be concerned quite yet, but it's basically when the, the pH, the acidification level in water is reduced. And, uh, and that can lead to things like, um, you know, shells of shellfish are made out of uh, 
calcium carbonate. And when the water becomes too acidified, it would degrade and break down, um, you know, substances like that. So it can have harmful effects, but it also happens very slowly. And there's in our coastal systems, there's so much variation in pH anyway, that it would be hard. Right now, there's no kind of trend, no obvious trend of decreasing pH. But in some areas, we have seen those patterns and, and there can be negative effects from that. Every year we see the signs go up for shellfish beds closed and, and those types of things. What, what's the cause of those? So there's a lot of disease um, and parasite issues. And again, a lot of them are natural, just things we need to you know, keep track of. Some of them are harmful to humans if they consume those shellfish. Some of them are not. But that is something uh, both seasonally and when there's something like a bloom, um, we need to keep track of when that shellfish is safe to eat and harvest and when when it needs to be left alone and clean. A bloom doesn't sound good. What, what's a bloom? So a bloom, it's like one of the, the harmful algal blooms I talked about when there's a species that, that could be harmful that, of course, shellfish, you know, they filter pretty much everything out of the water. So they'll contain whatever uh, species, whatever bloom is in there. And it, again, it, some of it could be harmful for, to a human if they ingest it. Is red tide part of that? Or? Yeah. And, oh. yeah, red tide is one of the harmful ones that actually the state monitors for because it does have it can have really negative effects and there's some others like rust tide that aren't quite as harmful but they're still things to watch out are there any complications with blooms like brian and i were talking about cyanobacteria blooms earlier are there freshwater shellfish that are affected by freshwater blooms or or do they all happen in saltwater environments that's a good question so well there aren't the primary shellfish that we consume around here are in the marine environments so saltwater environments um and there are freshwater shellfish but i'm not sure i guess blue certain mussel is it ribbed ribbed mussels there's some mussels that are freshwater um but you know i don't i don't know specifically i'm wondering if a a bird eats a mussel or a clam or something that's living in a pond that's impacted by a cyanobacteria bloom if they would be affected like i know when i lived in mashpee some dogs were adversely affected by cyanobacteria blooms when they were drinking the water from a pond that was affected and just kind of wondering like what is that transitory cycle from shellfish even if it's in a freshwater but it's not a gotcha question i'm not just trying to Unfolded yeah, no, it's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Are there any other, like, um, I've also heard about, is it called Vibrio, I think is another one. Is that, like, uh, more concerned to, like, the shellfish, or is that, like, a human consumption? That's something that can affect humans. So there's um, what we call Vibrio season, um, where there isn't, um, or where there are certain regulations that um, uh, basically are, are precautions you know, extra icing, basically regulations to handle shellfish that, that hopefully limit any Vibrio um, issues. So that's something, I believe it's May to October. And uh, yeah, so that is a concern to humans. And it's something that's, you know, every year there's monitoring and there's uh, regulations that hopefully protect us from that. talk about poop but before that I wanted to hear more about what you were talking about when you said that you were doing some water quality monitoring work like what is that that you, like how would maybe one of the listeners get involved in finding out what you were doing like can they observe what you're doing are you like um what where is that happening and what is it that you're doing and what do you besides the ocean acidification maybe what is it that you're looking for again I just started this job about in January 2020 but we have a long-term monitoring program that's been going for over 10 years in some of our sites. Um, And we basically, every 
year from about March to November. We put out instruments that collect data on all sorts of things, like on te- water temperature, uh, dissolved oxygen, chlorophyll, salinity, many things. And so we have all that data every year and we have five sites around the Cape. And all the, those sites were chosen because they're areas of you know, significant shellfish production. So again, we are tying this to um, to the shellfish industry and, and, and our surrounding area. And, uh, and yeah, so we're collecting this data and it is available to the public. We have a website. Um, we also, a lot of people will request that data, different researchers, um, whoever is interested, whoever wants to use it in some way. And, and you know, we send it out to whoever wants it. We also do have um, a website where two of our sites have a live data capacity. Yeah, and this, it's a really cool feature and it's one that, growers and a lot of people use all the time. So we're really trying to get all five sites up and running with that live data capacity where you can just, you know, pull up the website on your phone, check and you'll see what temperature the water is or how high the salinity is. And and that really helps with a lot of the people that work in the water. Maybe even bathers, because I know, uh, (laughs) full disclosure, I have a shellfish farm in Provincetown and it's cold. You know, like I'm like, I I might not, you know, necessarily know how, what the temperature of the water is, but I'm like, oh, that's cold. Also, it could be that, you know, as you said, as you get older, you get like less tolerant of the cold. Little kids will just jump into an ice bath. But um, who else, Who? what kind of folks besides shellfish growers use that kind of data? So we get um, a lot of the town personnel, the natural resource departments use it. Um, again, yeah, growers. Um, I mean, the public, a lot of people are just interested in, you know, trends, how their, how their, you know, water bot, their local water body is doing. And again, yeah, researchers, so people from academic institutions, there's a, uh, the state uses that data. They request it a lot for certain uh, reports. And yeah, so there, it's a pretty big variety of people that use it. Um, but it, And it does seem to be used a lot, which is great. It's, we've been told that it's a very valuable resource. So to get back to poop, on my particular uh, farm, which is rather new, I noticed there's a lot of birds that come by and do what birds do. Um, and occasionally I'll bring my dog out to my oyster grant. And, um, you know, I always try to make sure she gets all of her business done before we go out there. But occasionally she'll, you know, like, pee on some you know seagrass or whatever how problematic is that kind of activity whether it's from like the natural environment with um like pooping marine animals or birds or you know the 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 animals that we bring out to the like the Brewster flats that we talked about or the Provincetown flats is that problematic it can be if it's at high level so the the state monitors are the health of our water bodies and they have whole classification areas where uh, water of certain they, they measure fecal coliform in the water and again shellfish are only grown in areas that are clean enough so approved or conditionally approved areas in general you know shellfish growers have to deal with you know birds on their floating aquaculture gear all the time and and it really hasn't been a health issue i think now um it's becoming more of a concern just because, you know, there, there's more floating gear. There's clearly a lot of birds on there. But generally, um, you know, farmers, you know, they'll either have, they won't have uh, shellfish that they're going to harvest and sell, you know, right where the birds are. They have many methods to kind of make sure the shellfish are clean that are getting harvested. So it is something to be aware of and something that I think is coming up as something that people are focusing on more. But, but it doesn't have to be a, a big issue all the time. Maybe wait to release this until my uh, permit is uh, conditionally approved by state. <laughs> I had just submitted it. It's a long process. It's been over a year for me for just the permitting. So, Harriet, how do you think that the um, podcast listeners can connect with their local shellfish industry and perhaps get more involved? Like, what can people do to connect what they've heard here with? 
you know, their own life. Yeah. So, of course, people who are interested in harvesting shellfish can get uh, recreational shellfishing permits. But those are all um, gone through the town. So based on, you know, where you are, you can get a, a permit. You just to go to like shellfish. the town hall website um, and find out more about that. Um, you, do, you do need a permit to do that. So you can't just like come to Cape Cod and dig clams? Unfortunately, no. Okay. I think that's really good to know. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, we get like three to four. 5 million visitors a year, right? Mm-hmm. In a very short window of time. And it's usually the shellfish time when people <laughs> yeah. want to dig clams or razor yeah. clams or whatever. And um, it's good to know that you can't just yeah, go out there and with I your guess. bucket and your shovel. <laughs> yeah. And So going it's going to the town hall, uh, either online or in person, and finding out like when you can shellfish and where you can shellfish and getting that permit so that you're like legit when you go out to yeah. go shellfishing. And knowing how much you're allowed to harvest. Yeah. And like, can you eat everything? Not everything, nope. So there's, there's of course, size limits on the shellfish. So um, oysters, and, well, clam, yeah, both oysters and clams have size limits. Yeah, so anything small you'd have to throw back. Um, so there are regulations there. And, and there are generally town personnel around, like if you have questions or concerns, there are people around that are kind of keeping an eye on things. So are there aquaculture tours or anything that people can like further connect with the industry? Like how I know sometimes uh, you, we see like if you go out to like Crow's Pasture and Dennis or whatever, you see like all these like amazing farms. Is it cool to just go up and say hey and like talk to the folks that are working on it? Or is that like discouraged or? I think I think it's fine to go and, and you know, check in and say hi. I think a lot of growers you know, a lot of people do interact with the public all the time because those farms are in very public places. And I think they really, they can really enjoy, you know, talking to people about their farms. Um, of course, it's good to, to, you know, check in with the farmer, not to just go on a site. Um, you know, you want to make sure that, that that's okay. Um, you don't want to disrupt things too much. But yeah, it's a really good way to learn more about the about the industry and to talk to these farmers. Um, I know a lot of farmers, you know, they hire help in the summer and during their busy season. So often, you know, you could, Get a job working on it. On a oh, that's farm. great to know. So, how do you do that? You just go up to the farmer and be like, "Hey, I want to work on a shellfish farm." Or, like, is there like a Craigslist? Talking to people, putting feelers out. Maybe the town knows. Oh, that's a really yeah. good resource. So maybe people can check in with their natural resource officer or their shellfish constable or warden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all those the constables are very, very in touch and in close communication with all the growers in their town. So, if there was like one thing you could tell folks to do better about when it comes to our water that would help with what you do professionally, what would it? I guess be? this isn't directly tied. To mind but in terms or my work but i think a very basic thing is is minimizing pollution and waste into water so again i don't work specifically with pollution topics i guess calliope you do a lot of work with that you know people are still using plastic water bottles and all all this plastic and waste is ends up in our oceans and it's heartbreaking and it does a lot of damage so not something that was a focus for me growing up just minimizing waste in general whether it's food waste or you know, material or, or wasting water, you know, you want to conserve water. So I think that's just something that across the board, it's really important. It's just keeping trash and pollutants and things that don't belong in water out of the water. Cause that's a reason. That makes sense. But I'm kind of interested in your other four. Cause you said five things pop to mind. Well, you know, things like don't fertilize your lawn. If you can grow naturally and that fertilizer is going to end up in the water and, and, you know, there's plenty of issues. And of course, again, conserving water. A lot of people think of it as kind of a unlimited resource and don't run your water while washing dishes. I don't know. Things like that, you know, they're important. And they was, or was your dad or mom, one of those people that was like, shut off the water between brushing your teeth. That oh, kind of yeah. thing? My dad, he collects rainwater in all his barrels and that's what he uses to water the gardens taking showers we learned you you turn it off you know unless you're rinsing you turn it off to, to shampoo your hair oh, yeah that's yeah. so frugal <laughs> and uh things like when we're trying to get hot water you know it takes a while instead of running it 
my parents collect it and use that for, you know, chicken water or whatever water. So it's, and again, I think it, I, at the time, my sisters and I all grumbled and all that. But again, I'm so glad that those values are kind of in. Your parents are very unusual, amazing people, I have they to say, are. because, you know, I think about that whole, I have hot water on demand. And so, you know, the hot water comes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain amount of time before it's hot. And right. it would never have occurred to me, even being the groundwater guardian person that I am, to collect that so I've learned something thank you like I think your parents are amazing like it makes total sense to collect that water and put it to use yeah it's good clean water but I think maybe I was just like um maybe ignorant or lazy when it can't like I would just be like oh I'll just wait till it gets hot you know Uh, thank you Harriet thank you so much for having me do you know about shellfishing in your town Find out more by going to your local town shellfish department or natural resources website and connecting with your local shellfish constable or warden. Consider getting a recreational shellfish license and finding a tour of an aquaculture grant. So thank you for joining us for this chinwag and tune in next time to One Drop Leads to Another. Thinking a little bit about the challenge and we talked a little bit about microplastics and not using so many plastic bottles and things, maybe the challenge could be to, instead of using a plastic bottle, switch over to a glass bottle, a reusable packaging of some sort wherever possible, or take a stroll down the beach as we 